Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Good Soil Podcast, where the Word of God meets ears, minds, and hearts, and by His grace, grows a great harvest. I'm Aaron Fesenmeyer, pastor of York Evangelical Free Church, right here at the crossroads of the Midwest, York, Nebraska. And I am grateful that you've joined me today. This is an exciting day. I mean, they're all exciting, but this one is an exciting day because if you're tuning in for the first time, that's great. But if you've been following along as we've read the New Testament, that's even better because today we are finally at the last book of the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, and the Word of God could not end on a more powerful pyrotechnic display of the glory of God in Jesus Christ than this one. So welcome to the Revelation to John. Now that title, the Revelation to John, is important because what it's saying is that the Apostle John is not the author. He's the recorder. He's recording what he receives. And we don't know exactly when this book was written. There's some debate that it was written prior to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 or written about a decade before the turn of the first century. But what we do know is that the Apostle John was the longest living of the apostles. And before he died, he faced intense persecution and he knew that the church was going to be facing it too. And Jesus knew that the church was going to face it too. Now, a little bit of history, church tradition history here. Church tradition records that John was boiled alive in oil by the emperor, the Roman emperor Domitian. And it also records that when he didn't die, Domitian was so terrified that he banished him to the island of Patmos off the coast of the Aegean Sea. Now, if this information is all correct, the revelation to John was written when during that exile. So why was John charged as recorder of this revelation? Whose revelation is it if it's not John's? We are given the lens by which we are to read the whole of this book in the first chapter, the first three verses. So let's read them together. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Whose revelation is it? It's Jesus Christ's. This book is first and foremost, with all the spectacular scenes and mind-boggling pictures, It is first and foremost about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this displays, unveils, reveals Jesus Christ as Christ triumphant. Christ the King, Christ the one who is coming back to make all things new. The risen Christ, therefore, by his Holy Spirit through the Apostle John, aims to have his church hold fast in faith, knowing that he will return soon, and to be filled with the hope that his return will be consummately triumphant. Christ is triumphant over all powers. For the church then, and for the church today, 
The call to hope and persevere is ever needed. So that's why Christ has sent to us this final scriptural encouragement and assurance. This is a book of hope, a book of warning, a book of judgment, and a book that is going to pull back the curtain of the little tent of what we call the physical world and show us at least somewhat of the great behind-the-scenes of the spiritual world and the great cosmic war in which the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is engaged and over which the Lord of the Church, Jesus Christ, has been victorious. So are you ready for this? Well, not yet. Not yet. There's a couple things we need to cover. And this one's important. When the book says revelation, the Greek word behind it is apocalypsis or apocalypse. Why is that important? Why should we care about the Greek term? Well, because this book is written in a literary form that we really don't have in our present day. So it's, there's a challenge for us to relate to it. And as much as you and I want to read the Bible accurately, if we come to this one and take everything in this book as if it were just giving us the literal, straight, unsymbolic story, our hair is going to catch on fire with wacky ideas that evangelicals have fallen prey to over the years. And I'm not here to tell you that this will, that this interpretive key of understanding that this is apocalypse will cause you to understand everything in this book. I know this fact, and I don't understand most of it. But it will help you think, hopefully more in line with the thought and the structure of the Bible as you read. So, apocalypse, what is it? Sure, it's a Greek word, and it's a genre of writing that is what? Heavily symbolic. It puts into pictures that which we could not otherwise grasp or fathom. And this is of the future and the future of the unseen heavenly realm. There are other glimpses of this in the Bible. For example, the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel. Jesus himself uses it in the Olivet Discourse in Mark 13. And the Apostle Paul uses it particularly in 2 Thessalonians. So you are going to see a ton of word pictures in this book, tons of symbols, and they're all pointing to real things, to reality, and all of them are on a trajectory. They are on a trajectory to the end of time, to the return of Christ, to the final day, the great day of the Lord, and the renewal of all things, all these things that the scriptures have promised since the beginning. This is an amazing book end of the Bible because there are at least, at least 800 threads of references to the Old Testament in this book that tie everything together. The Bible isn't just a collection of random books. The Bible is God's revealed redemptive plan in Jesus Christ. And it is all tied together and it all climaxes in this book, the book of the Revelation to John. So, now that you have that tool in your interpretive tool belt, what are some things you can look for in this book? As we get swept along by the imagery, and again, keep in mind, even though it's symbolic, John is describing something real, not something fabricated or not just something that exists only in our heads. No, as we, get, as we move along in this imagery, look 
constantly at Jesus Christ. Look at how he is described, proclaimed, what he does, and how everything relates to him. There are so many examples that we would spend the rest of the day if I were to talk about each one on this episode. So I'll just comment on one. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 continues an overwhelming scene in the courts of heaven around the throne of God. And just a note too, if Jesus is in focus in this book, you should definitely be on the lookout for God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Back to the court of heaven and the throne of God, and an angel cries out, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And this is to begin the long-awaited judgment of the earth. Verse 3 of chapter 5 continues, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I, this is the Apostle John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is Christ, and he has conquered. And if Christ has conquered... He expects every person of every church of his church to persevere. Overcoming temptations, persecutions, and trials of every sort that will come to believers as the end comes near. The word overcome or conquer, the Greek word nikaio, where we get Nikon and Nike, occurs 17 times in this book, and it's used all but twice to refer to the saints overcoming or Christ and his servants accomplishing his purposes. So we have at least one section of this book, chapters 2 through 3, that are written to the churches, the seven churches, a group of seven actual churches, they were historically real, that John ministered to. And each little letter within those seven letters to the churches, they all end with, to the one who conquers, I will gives a promise, and then it also ends with, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This, and the whole rest of the book too, is the call for the church to persevere, to overcome in the hope we have of everything soaring toward the glorious end of the beginning of our life with God. I'll conclude this episode with the same calls from the end of this book. Chapter 22, Amen, come Lord Jesus, and the call to anyone with ears to hear, in verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let's come to this book. Let's come to this Jesus and let's hear him and receive him. So as we start this book, this amazing finale together, let me pray for us as we receive God's word in the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. Lord, we pray that you would knock our socks off, overwhelm us, and cause us to glory in your exaltation as we see the hope of you set before us. 
your promise, your guarantee to make all things new. Help us to stand by your Holy Spirit and understand. Help us not to be led to that which you did not intend with this book. Help us to discern how your word ends and how it is tied with how your word begins and how your word continues all the way through the scripture. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Soil Podcast. I'm enjoying reading the Bible with you. Let me encourage you, keep reading. His voice is worth hearing. Stay tuned for a follow-up episode after we've finished the Revelation of John. But until I talk with you next, may God reap a great harvest in our midst as his word grows in good soil. Good soil.